Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from K-Hand Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. Specifically this week, we're going to talk about Tailgate Party, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but what do we want to start out with this week, Bo? Uh, well, this is episode two, and oddly enough, we had some write-ins already from episode one. And one of the big questions was... How do you make a how do you make an NES game in 2017? Yes, and we forgot to mention last week that we do have an email address that you can write into uh, nesassemblyline at gmail.com. We'll be happy to take questions every week, um, or however you know often we put out an episode and we'll answer them here on the air. Um, but like Bo mentioned, the first question, which was from uh, Adam Goulet, uh, had to do with how you make an NES game in 2017, like he said. So where do we want to begin with that? I guess we could talk about the individual tools. I guess one would, you know, have to download in order to to start out. Okay. Um, Yeah, a lot of people think that, at least I did when I started four and a half years ago, that there was, you know, a lot of mystery involved with, with how to make a game and what tools to use. And there's all these different things. And you can buy programs. But in the end, all you need is a text editor, a an assembler, uh, some sort of graphics program, and sound. Uh, so it's all pretty basic in terms of tools. I guess we'll start with the text editors. What do you use, Kevin? Uh, I use a program called Site, uh, S-C-I-T-E. Um, and honestly, like you mentioned, you don't need anything fancy. You can open up Notepad that comes with Windows to, to do this kind of stuff. But um, when I was looking for sort of tools to kind of customize how I do things, uh, site. Um, it was really cool because it offered um, ways to edit colors um, just so you can see things easier and you can um, actually edit scripts uh, to compile and launch the editing programs and, and sort of launch the emulator to test the game. So uh, it made things a lot more streamlined for me. Um, but like I said, you don't need anything nearly that complicated but what do you use oh when i let's see when i started i used notepad just the basic microsoft word deal and i used that for about six months i would say and when you go to compile a program or assemble it the assembler will spit back errors and it'll say things like error on line 248 and if you don't have, if you're using Notepad, you end up having to either count lines or just guess where it's at because Notepad doesn't give you a line number. So I switched over to Notepad plus plus once my program started getting bigger, and that one's also free, easy to use. You can have multiple tabs open instead of multiple windows. It's it's very nice and again free. Yeah, I think Notepad plus plus is what most people I've seen use. Um, I haven't actually seen anyone else using the program that I that I came across, but uh, I tried it out and it worked for me, and I've been using it ever since. So uh, that's the, kind of the beauty of this whole thing. You can sort of do research, pick and choose what works best for you, and uh, you know set up your own little assembly line, so to speak. <laughs> well, and two, you don't have to have anything. You pretty much already have the programs that you need built into your computer. Yeah. So the one thing you do have to download though is an assembler. And I use NES ASM, which was sort of a modified version of a old Turbo Graphics assembler, I believe. And a lot of people, so when I started using it, there was a lot of debate over whether it could be used to make a real game. And 
people would say no you know it's 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 sort of a crappy assembler but uh one person at least which was kevin said i've made all my games and i was like well i guess i can just keep using this for a while and so i ended up using that and i still use it because the syntax is different what uh what your code looks like is different between assemblers so whether you use what is it? CA CC65 or CA65? CA65, yeah. CA65 is another one. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that once you figure out the syntax of the one you want to use, you never even really look into the other ones if if what you're using works for you. No, uh, NESASM has which is NES assembly language ASM has a couple little quirks with it, but nothing real big that would cause somebody not to be able to make a full licensed quality production game yeah i use the same assembler like you said and the only thing i've come across and i honestly haven't seen anyone else mention this um so it might be just something i'm doing wrong but it (laughs) it seems that when i try to include external files um you know like music code or something like that if a bank fills up if it overflows a bank sometimes it doesn't throw an error and things will just break like it just won't run um, and I'll have to try to track down what's going wrong. And then that's when I realize, oh, um, I have too much code in this bank. There is a small issue with that, I believe, when I was talking with uh, members about uh, graphics code overflowing into the next bank. But uh, it's pretty minimal. As long if, you, if you're able to start writing assembly, you'll start catching those types of errors uh, just because you know your code fairly well. Uh, exactly. And at, at that point, there's only a few things it could be. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to track down errors at that point. But, um, yeah, I've released nine games with that assembler, and it's been great. So I don't know what all the haters are talking about. I think it's an old debate, and we just sort of... I think that's even before your time. Uh, yeah. One that just sort of stuck around and hasn't, you know... The guys that have still been around for, you know, 20 years know it for what it was 20 years ago, or 15, right. or whatever. Yeah, and once, you know, the, the, the old stigmas for things don't really go away easily, so no. they pr- they might not even have looked into newer versions to see that it's gotten way, way better. Yeah, so um, the assembler will compile your code, and you're writing your code in a text editor. After that, you just need to be able to edit graphics and sound. So what do you use for mm-hmm. graphics, Kevin? Uh, I use a couple programs. Uh, there's a program called NES Screen Tool uh, that was developed by Shiru. Um, that I use to sort of draw full screen graphics, uh, like backgrounds and things like that. And then I use a program called Tile Layer Pro um, to draw all my sprites in. I use neither of those. They're terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A screen tool is useful for, like Kevin said, big title screens. Uh, but I still I do everything. Mine's more tile-based uh, when I draw. So I use YYCHR and have for mm-hmm. you know, four and a half years now. And I think that was, golly, was that done by Snowbro? And it works It works very well. There's some quirks with it. One of the biggest things when you start using a graphics program is that it will not let you violate, most of them will not let you violate the NES restrictions, which is three colors plus a universal background color per 8x8 or 16x16 area. And it's a blessing and a curse. So when I'm actually drawing graphics, I will do some in YYCHR. And then I will switch over to Paint, which is also probably already on your computer, so it's free. 
and I will use that to actually be able to do layers and things like that. Yeah, it's a little bit of a juggling act uh, when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of, of actually doing your graphics. Yes, and I always use layers, so I always have to use paint. Right, but it's a lot of fun. And like you said, the fact that it forces you to, to stay within the NES constraints, um, like you said, it's a little bit of a curse, but I like it because it basically prevents you from screwing things up. It really does. If you pop open... Um... Any of the... <laughs> That's another beer. Any of the... Um, oh, uh, a ROM. Uh, whether that's free or I don't care. Um, but if you pop open a ROM into a program like YYCHR, you'll be able to scroll through and see the graphics for that game, unless they use something, unless they use some level of compression and they'll be garbled and screwed up. But there'll be a bunch of garbled text or uh, image, which is actually your assembly language file that for the game and then eventually you'll get to things that look like game graphics and so you can sort of see how they're arranged there's a bunch of different ways to arrange things uh, but you get into that as you go yeah and i think that's uh when you start getting into game hacking that's one of the easiest ways to hack a game just literally open an nes rom in one of these graphics programs scroll down to you see graphics and then literally just change them and save the the new rom and you can pop it open and there will your graphics be Yep, switch uh, switch uh, the princess for Link, and you've got uh, the Legend of actually the Legend of Zelda for once. <laughs> and then you. So have that to... leaves us with sound, right? Yes, sound. That's all you, because I do not mess with sound yet. Um, the biggest program I think in the scene right now for sound uh, is Famatracker, and it's just a tracking program. It it shows you you know the four different sound channels for an NES game. Um, and as long as you have some understanding of, you know, notation in music, um, cause you literally tell it, you know, C here and in this channel E, you know, um, but yep, you do all your music and sound effects in Famitracker and then you can export it, um, in various ways to, to use however your sound engine requires. And that's one of the great things about homebrewing as a whole is you have code, you have visuals and you have sound and those are three different ways that you can start making games or contributing to other games without having to know everything right off the bat even though and even still like I can draw graphics if I really want to take the time but I like working with artists to do that aspect so I tend to not I would do it for somebody else but I won't do it for myself uh, which Kevin will do the same thing with music. He's done sound for me, but he won't do sound for himself, uh, which I always find strange until you're in that situation. It's like, oh, okay, I get this now. Yeah, I mean, when you're working on something, especially if you're coding it, it's so much easier if if the graphics and sound just sort of arrive to you magically <laughs> and then you can just pop them in. Because um, you don't want to, like, you get in a rhythm, you don't want to stop and then work on this song or draw this background. It just takes so long. Oh, you could take couple years just doing graphics uh, if you really you know had a lot of stuff you wanted to cover or just if you needed the time to learn it better but um so assembly language itself is the biggest piece of the puzzle if you're going to make a game from scratch and neither of us had any programming experience prior to to learning this am i right Do, did you have any 
No, I had messed around. I'd read like a book on C once and it made no sense. Yeah. So um, if you don't have any programming experience, you know, it's it's not impossible to sort of jump in and get your feet wet. Um, but if, if someone came to you, Bo, and, and wanted to sort of take the plunge and, and start figuring out assembly language, where, where would you direct them? I would direct them to no books and no online resources. There's only one resource you really need to get started, and it is called the Nerdy Knights. The tutorial's done by Bunny Boy or Brian Parker, who runs Retro USB. That's absolutely right. Uh, that's how I learned, and I believe that's how Bo learned, and yep. that's how a lot of people learned. Um, he breaks, you know, things down piece by piece, lesson by lesson. You can go as slow as you need. I think I, I did like one lesson a week and I would read it over and over and it would make absolutely no sense. And then at some point a light bulb goes off and things just start to click. Um, so we're very receptive, uh, at Nintendo age where the tutorials are housed, um, for new people coming to check things out. Um, I started a thread there um, for sort of all, you know, ask all programming questions here. If you have any specific things you're trying to do, you just go in there, ask your question. Uh, and there's a few of us that check in there pretty regularly and we'll be happy to help you out. Yeah, it's a very safe place, too. You can ask stupid questions. There is no stupid question is really the answer to that. Uh, I've had, you know, looking back on the years of questions that I've had, and it's like, well, that was dumb. And it's like, no, not really, because how else would I have understood it? Even things like uh, a computer program being a loop. I didn't realize a computer program was a loop. Like, it just runs around and around in a circle, and you have to do certain things because of that. Yeah, I remember when I was... um... When I was starting out, the biggest, when I was trying to ask questions, my biggest problem was sort of understanding how to even phrase the question because you, you don't know terminology. You don't know how to even ask what you need. So, yeah, I, did, I started a thread there, you know, no judgments, go in there, ask the most ridiculous things you want, uh, and we'll be happy to help. And the Nerdy Nights, too, really set you up with a nice, easy lesson format i think the first week is just here's hexadecimal and some general things the second week is how to change the background color and they're presented in such a way that you're given the code and you can sort of sit there and poke around in it you can change things and it'll break and it won't work so then you change something different and it breaks again but eventually you sort of figure out what it is that that lesson needs and then you move on to the next and you start to figure out a lot it teaches you to teach yourself uh, which is one of the biggest things with homebrewing as a whole yeah you'll 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 notice that like oh if i change this it breaks oh but then if i change it this way it works and then changes this so it forces you to sort of get right in there and try things out and experiment see what works and see what doesn't um i think the biggest problem that i had when i was starting out is um you know everything as far as code goes in an NES game, manipulates, you know, different addresses. And I never understood these random numbers, like all these commands were doing things to different addresses. And I was like, how are they getting these addresses? But you'll just start to figure out that, you know, certain addresses on the NES deal with certain parts of a game. Oh, you're talking about writing two addresses. Exactly. Oh, see, I had one where uh, when you start doing having to do lookup tables for to find data in different parts of the game, you have to do something called indirect indexing. And I, rem I remember the night I was sitting there and I finally understood that it was pointing to numerical addresses 
in the program and that had never nobody had ever explained that to me and it just with no background it just suddenly made sense and I it was like I had this grand epiphany and I went on this drive and it was just like holy cow like I can do anything <laughs> I couldn't it's taken me years to finish anything but at the time it was like wow I get it now Yep, and that's a really, really great feeling when, when you finally figure something out. So, yeah, definitely, if you have any interest, jump in there, start reading, because uh, it's doable, and we would love to have you. Yeah, most people, it doesn't take all that long to get started. It took me a little longer because my scope of project was that bigger, but that was really the the only thing stopping me from finishing anything years ago. So, we're talking about Tailgate Party this week, and that's a pretty big game as far as using a peripheral um, do a you what? know of any a, a, a peripheral? <laughs> Why can't I pronounce that word? Because you're from the Panhandle of Florida. Per- peripheral? How do you Wait, pronounce it? What was the other question we got asked? We got two write-in questions. Oh, the other that's one right. Was, wait, wait. I gotta ask it. Oh, please. Are you a farmer? Which I would think is directed to me because I'm from <laughs> Northern Indiana, but apparently not so much. <laughs> Apparently so are you a farmer? Me. No, I'm not a farmer yet. I'd like to be. I'd like to be. All right. So yeah, definitely write in questions. Uh, they can be as silly as that. Yes. Uh, we, we were not offended uh, too easily. <laughs> we, we are not delicate snowflakes, although some would like to say we are. Um, <laughs> Let's not go there. Peripherals. Uh, which peripherals? I, uh, yeah, I'm adding a different vowel, but peripheral, peripheral. The homebrew world and peripherals. Uh, we there's there were there were a lot released during the licensed era. There was the Konami laser scope. There was the power glove, the power pad. Uh, Nintendo got the NES into stores due to Rob the robot, the robot operator. Miracle buddy. piano. Oh, Miracle piano. Dang, nobody's used that one. Um, the zapper, of course, and like all manner of third party little gimmicky controllers like the max, which was a first party one or that terrible little quick shot device that just sucks. (laughs) But so we have all these peripherals to choose from. And as a home brewer, like they're really fascinating because you have to do different things in code to make them work. And you can also take this just piece of garbage item that that really never saw a good use and you can give it a really unique and interesting place in the the world. Homebrew world, but still. So with that, uh, what are some of the ones and what have they been used for? Uh, So right off the top of my head, um, I know there's a game called Super Russian Roulette that came out on Kickstarter, I think, last year or the year before. Um, And it uses the the zapper. That uh, actually... Oh, go ahead. Well, it just uses it in very interesting ways. (laughs) And what would that interesting way be? Well, you stick it to your head and pull a trigger and see if you die or not. There is that. <laughs> Which, it is an interesting or fascinating enough use of the zapper. And why do you think it got so much support on Kickstarter? Oh, there's a few reasons. Um, one of them was that visual gratification, which uh, was you know commented on with Teppel's 2010 version, the text one. Uh, Andrew Rotano... Uh, he goes by Batsley Adams online. He, his friends, we actually, the, the first day that I met him, which it was the same day Kevin met him, was at MAGFest 2016. Uh, there was the, 
the first day of the Kickstarter campaign, we we drove through. He Kevin came up to my place. We drove over to where was it? D.C. Uh, Maryland. Yeah, yeah, D.C. Oh, yeah, Maryland, which I guess they are separate places. Yeah, right outside D.C. Yeah, yeah, and. We set up our thing, and it was like, I was checking the forms, and I was like, oh, there's a game that just came out this morning. It's called Super Russian Roulette, and it's by that Batsley guy. And he was like, you know who this is? And I was like, yeah, he's got some wild hair, like just a head of wild hair. And so this guy walks into the place, and he's got this head of wild hair, and I'm like, I think that's Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) And it was. And I creeped him out, because I, of course, already knew who he was, because I'd been following him on Twitter for a couple of years, and uh, he posts, he had pictures of himself on there, and I was like, oh, that's the guy! And so he was a, he was very worried that he'd started this campaign, and I was like, well, what's what's up? He's like, well, the goal, I set the goal really high, and it was, I think, 20000 I was like, well, what's wrong with that? And he's like, well, if I, if I hit that, you know, I've, I've hardly broken even, like, it's not worth the time, but we have this commercial and I was like well, what do you mean and so he showed us this commercial it's not terribly long but it is very well done yes very very professional and so what happened was he had some friends that convinced him to he he had this game already finished and they said well look if we do this commercial for you for free will you put out this game and he said he begrudgingly said yeah I guess that's fine and so within a month, it had attracted over a thousand backers and uh, raised over about almost eighty-five grand, which is unheard of in the homebrew community. Oh yeah, and it features this trash-talking cowboy, and it uses the zapper. You put it against your head. It's sort of billed as a drinking game where you're, you know, going to get a little plastered and try to shoot yourself. And even at the convention, he busted out a card table, threw it down on us four legs, put a TV on the table, put a little cowboy hat on top of it. And like (laughs) you play against a computer opponent. There's a so even if there's three of you, the fourth player is this computer who trash talk Mm -hmm. is you the voiced audio is that what you'd call it uh yeah i think so so it actually uses voiced audio like you remember blue wizard audio audio samples audio samples thank you yeah so gauntlet used that but they sounded terrible but this is actually very well done and he says wild things and he you know talks to you and he gives you crap and he tries he'll kill himself when it's his turn or you will kill yourself on your turn Yeah, and we should mention that he programmed it in a really clever way because uh, on HDTVs, the zapper will not work, you know, with games like Duck Hunt um, or Laser Invasion because when you point, you know, the gun at the screen, uh, there's certain, you know, things that it has to happen for, for it to actually detect that you're shooting a certain spot. But he actually programmed the game to detect when the trigger is pulled. It doesn't matter where you're actually pointing the gun. Which is the same with all three uh, Russian roulette versions. All of them knew that they couldn't... Most people didn't use uh, old CRTs like I do. So they found ways around that. And it's a game that really doesn't require that, except in one instance in Super Russian Roulette, if you remember what that is, Kevin. To shoot the teddy bear, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that a spoiler? Or should we be saying that? I I think it's... No, no. Shit. Yeah, I think it's in the trailer, too. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. Some semblance of it. I think the game just shipped, or I uh, I saw a notice that it was shipping, so that shouldn't ruin it for too many people, I guess. Yeah, so what else did he do, though? Uh, He's actually done a lot of things, but one of the clever things that I think he did, uh, he made a a game called The Drunken NES, which he came across this alcohol sensor, 
and he wanted to use it. So he programmed this NES, I'll, I'll call it a game for lack of a better word, <laughs> um, but you blow into the alcohol sensor and it will tell you if you're drunk or not. And as cool as that sounds, he did it. He he did it one one more. He actually he made a high score screen oh, on this game, so you can prove that you're more drunk than your friend. <laughs> Those New York Cityers. So that's another interesting. That doesn't use a licensed peripheral, but it does use hardware in an interesting way. It's a very much a hardware guy. Memblers is another one who I would say is is also very much hardware oriented. We actually Kevin and I. Now that we both use Memblers as GT-ROM, we program our games through a modified Game Genie, which is an interesting use of hardware itself. Yeah. Another game that uses interesting peripherals would be the 8-Bit Hero Trainer. This is one of my favorites. It was done by Psych Software in 2015. He goes by Lone Kilted Ninja online. And if you watch the video of this, which I finally did, instead of just trying to play it myself, I decided to watch a pro. He will be in a kilt. So he is <laughs> own kilted ninja. It's a first person, basically hero training for an 8-bit RPG. And that's sort of, he's got a whole great little manual about training to fight in an RPG. And it reminds me of uh, Dragon Quest Swords, which if you've played that, you, you know, it's you versus them in a first-person thing. And 8-Bit Hero Trainer uses the Power Glove and awesome. the Power Pad, which are two... Well, one is a terrible peripheral, and the other one <laughs> is a very underused peripheral, which you just you know usually sit on the ground and hammer with your fists until you've jumped the 90-foot uh, long jump. So what else uses an interesting peripheral before we get to tailgate party? As a musician, uh, there's one that uses uh, an adapter to where you can plug in a MIDI keyboard called Chip Maestro. Um, it came out back in 2011, um, and it's really cool. You, like I said, it, it has an adapter that comes out from the cartridge that you know you put in your Nintendo, uh, and it can plug into any MIDI keyboard that you have laying around. Um, <laughs> and you can actually... <laughs> are you laughing or are you snorting? Yeah, who has a MIDI keyboard lying around? Musicians do. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I, <laughs> I haven't found one at a garage sale, so I don't. Um, but if you go to chipmaestro.com, there are some really cool videos um, of how it works. And there's tons of different features um, that he has sort of programmed in to where you can do, you know, arpeggiated sounds and, and different things. So definitely check it out. Um, it's awesome. Which, I guess, brings me to my game that has used an interesting peripheral, which was Spookatron, which oh. was funded. It was done on Kickstarter. It was funded back in, what, March? April? It was uh, two days after tax day, which, because of the weekend, was a day before tax day, which I was really trying to avoid. I don't know why. But anyways, uh, Chris did the art for that game, and that game was born out of my desire to use a Virtual Boy controller on the NES, which is in many ways a post-NES peripheral. Same with the Super Nintendo stuff, the mouse, or even a Super Nintendo controller, which I also built into Spookatron, uh, because the game uses two NES controllers. You hold them one in each hand, and you turn them vertically and use the D-pads, or... If you want, you can use a Super Nintendo controller, or if you really want, you can use a Virtual Boy controller, which of course has two D-pads, and there are probably thousands more Virtual Boy controllers than there are actual Virtual Boys still working 
So that is true. Good use, good use for an old controller, and nobody else had done it before. And that was the whole like fascinating thing with the peripherals for me was nobody else has done this. Well, I can find a cool use for this. I just have to find ways to modify a whole bunch of Virtual Boy controllers. So uh, does that about sum things up for the different uh, games that use the different no. P word? No, it doesn't at all, because one of the very absolute coolest uses of a peripheral, we are just now seeing it was released um, uh, June 1st of 2017. It's called Tailgate Party, which is the whole point of this episode, is Tailgate Party. Yes, and it is awesome. Yep, it's basically cornhole for the NES. What is cornhole to those of us that don't live in the Midwest or the Panhandle? (laughs) <laughs> the panhandle it's exclusive down here um yes. it is a game that people typically play at tailgating which is you know hanging out before a sporting event in a parking lot drinking beer and eating food um it's a game that is made of a wooden rectangle with a hole in it uh and there's one board uh on each side i think there's space like 30 feet apart um and there's two people uh beside each board and you're throwing bags filled with uh, rice or corn uh, to the opposing board to try to get it in the hole. Okay, and you can tell that those of us in the Midwest and the Panhandle have nothing better to do. Hey, it's fun. And honestly, I hadn't it heard of is. it before a, three years ago, but it is fun. It's a great social game. Uh, you know, and we've lost so many things in recent days. But I, I was invited out to play Cornhole, the only time that I've ever really played it in real life, uh, not on the NES, by the old dudes who lived in the cul-de-sac. They would, like, knock on my door like I was, you know, 10 and they were 14, and they were like, hey, you want to come play? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure, let's go do this. And so No idea play- what that is, but let's do it. These guys are literally, like, in their 70s, and, like, we're throwing bags across the thing, and it's getting real competitive, it's getting real fun, and we're just having a blast. And, like, I'm meeting my neighbors, I'm meeting people. It was good. Uh, I have very fond memories of that. Yeah, I've played it um, probably 15 or 20 times um, with different people, and there are people that take it very seriously. Oh, yeah. yeah I guess that. that's any sort of competitive sport. Pretty much. So is uh, no, no skill to it? You just dumb luck? No. Uh, this sort of takes a little bit of skill. So... Um, Tim programmed Tailgate Party to use the power pad. Um, And as everyone knows, the power pad has uh, three rows of four circles, uh, and they're divided into a red side and a blue side. And you're actually standing 10 feet away from the power pad and throwing these bean bags uh, at the pad to try to hit the numbers. And that registers basically different scores for the game. Yeah, so the the row closest to you will award you one point, uh, the middle row will give you two points, and then the furthest row will give you three points. And the goal, typically the goal is to get to 21, um, but he's programmed some pretty cool uh, variations of, of the game into this that we'll get into a little bit later on. Okay, we can get to that later, I guess. Do you want to give a little hint about story mode, though? Yeah, story mode is really cool. So he's programmed two different things. He's got the story mode in there, and then he's got the, you know, if you want to play with a friend or whatever. Um, But the story mode, he's got it divided into, uh, I think, six different uh, characters that you interact with, um, with something happening at the end that I don't want to give away. But 
Um, it basically, you start out against, uh, granny who is kind of the worst one in the parking lot. She's um, glass Joe. Yeah, she is the glass Joe of tailgate party. Excellent. Absolutely. Um, and you wake, you work your way up to, uh, the big wig in the area whose name is ACE. Um, and he's actually come up with a really compelling, interesting storyline. And it's, it's even mysterious. Like when you, when you think of, uh, you know, uh, cornhole, you don't think of it being, you know, you throw the bag and, and you try to win and you go about your day, but he's actually come up with a really interesting storyline. And, uh, I have to commend him on that. That is one of the most interesting things to me about this game as a whole is that it's not just a simple sports game. He, I've talked with him before, and he's a big fan of Tecmo, what is it, World Cup Soccer? Uh, oh, really? That game? Yeah, the RPG soccer game. Yeah. I don't hear too many people raving about that game. Uh, they will if they find it at Garage Sale for 50 cents, because it's worth quite a bit. Yeah, it is awesome. I have played it. I, I enjoy it for sure. Oh, I really want to play it. Yeah, he, the other game that he really enjoys playing, the because I'm, as I've said before, a big RPG player, the only RPG he's ever really played is Final Fantasy X, which has this giant sports-like component to it in term in the form of Blitzball. And so he's like, oh, no, I, my friend would play the story part, and I'd just play Blitzball all day. And I'm like, well, geez, that sounds like... He's like, it's just like Tecmo Soccer. And I'm like, oh, okay, i got to play this apparently. Yeah. But it's, he did a great job. Each of the characters actually has a personality, and I think that's hard to accomplish on such a primitive system because, um, you know, you're just dealing with text and graphics and very, very, you know, primitive graphics. So um, How dare you? Well, I mean, it's the truth. I mean, I, I love it as much as the next oh. guy, but there's only so many colors you can use and you're dealing with pixels, so... For those of us that haven't played a game past 99, it is just <laughs> fine. Well, no, I... gonna... <laughs> no, no, there's nothing more I wanted to say. Oh, that's good. Again, fighting words. Uh, so we're actually going to have Tim on, and he's going. we're going to ask him some questions. He's going to chat about Tailgate, and we're going to, I guess, see where this goes. All right. I'm here. Thanks for having me. All guys. right. Then I'm not lying. Bo, are you still here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Sweet. We got the first three-way going here. Nope. <laughs> All right. So um, you just released a game called Tailgate Party. Is that correct? Yeah, Tailgate Party. Yep. Okay. Um, so I have concocted some questions here that I want to ask you. Is that all right? Go for it. Fire away. Okay. So how do you feel now that you've released your first game? Um, relieved. A little overwhelming, but relieved. Are you happy with how it's performing? Uh, yeah, as of right now, it's uh, it's it's performing pretty well. I, you know, I was I was hoping for a little bit more feedback at this point in time, but I'm I'm sure it's going to be a slow burn. People get into it, and they got to get they got to get all the peripherals and and the everything what? that they need. <laughs> See, you're the one that says it wrong, Bo. What'd you call them? Peripherals. See, oh, that's how it's said. Learn to speak English. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've learned um, from w- once you release a game, it it you're just wanting this instant feedback, and it's it's so hard to get people to just like tell you that they're playing it and what they think about it. It's never enough. You are. You've poured a, you've poured like a year or two of yourself into this, and like you expect that people are going to be just right there on the fence because you're waiting for that uh, feedback, and well, you know they got to have time to actually play it. 
One thing I got to remember is too is that it's probably, they're probably just like me. It, it it gets in the mail, it goes on their shelf, it sits there for a while until they finish their other projects or games that they're playing, and then then they get to it finally. Yep. So, what do you call your company? Uh, my game is called, or my company is called Orb Games. And what does that mean? It's uh, kind of got a little a little bit of history to it. Uh, it was my uh, it was my handle on Ebony, uh, a, a multi or massive multiplayer online game. And come to find out, after I did some Google searching on the name, it uh, it's it's a high school like in Ohio, I think, and there that's their mascot is Orb, and apparently it means orange and black, and it just kind of fits because my, uh, my high school colors were orange and black. So I, I just kind of went with that. Nice. So would you say that, uh, you learned to program for the NES by the tutorials at Nintendo age? Yeah. I, uh, I, I got to looking around and I found the, the Bob roast stuff. Is that, is that how you say his name? Bob roast Rost? I call it Rost. Yeah. Rost is how I say it. Um, and then, and then a few few years or not a few few months later, I end up finding the uh, tutorials that Brian or Bunny Boy put on Nintendo Age, and I went through those in probably about three months or so, and and I had a, a you know a, a rudimentary pong game working after that. Uh, what made you want to start programming for the NES? Um, the love of the system. It's always been my favorite system, and I have a, a I, at that point I had a. Well, small compared to some collectors' catalog of games, probably under a hundred at that time, and um, it just intrigued me to to be able to program for a system that was about thirty years old at that time. Uh, so, what was that journey like? Did you have other languages prior to that? Did you have a firm grasp of assembly? Um, before that, um, probably about eight years before that, I graduated from. Wayne State College here in Nebraska, and I, I did have extensive background in programming, but I hadn't done it in probably about eight years. Um, I did a little bit of assembly. It was MIPS, though, so I, I really didn't remember. I didn't really remember a whole lot about the language or, or what happened in that class. So um, I did some HTML here and there, not not anything. Basically, just kind of hacking web pages here at work and. Nothing really extensive in programming other than I was, that was my major in college. And then I kind of moved away and went into server and PC support. So MIPS was a Nintendo 64, right? I think Nintendo 64, the PlayStation 2, I think was MIPS as well, or MIPS 2. Um, I think there's some, some something with uh, some computers or something like that age as well that, that did some stuff with it too. Yeah, unrelated, but still fascinating. Yeah, it's um, kind of, kind of neat. So after Pong, what did what was your first like post Pong project? Um, I worked on a game I called Happy Hour, and it was it was kind of a a knockoff of Tapper. I've always liked the arcade game Tapper. Um, I tried to keep the the sliding the mug concept of it, and that but I wanted to change the flavors of beer with it, and. I did that for a few months and I had a, had a, a group of people try it on the NES-a-thon and they really didn't like it very well from what I, under, or what I, what I observed. So I kind of put that on the back shelf at that time and I started thinking about what I wanted to do next and that's where Tailgate Party became my, my second project. Wasn't there another uh, homebrew that came out that was very similar to that? Yeah, there was one. Uh, Beer Slinger came out and 
you know, that, that game, um, it was very, very similar to what I wanted to do, except he actually had people walking in. I was just kind of sliding the mug across the, across the table, not really doing anything with it like he was doing. So, um, you know, and then, and at that time I was like, well, you know, there's already another tapper clone out there and there's no reason for me to, to make another one on the NES. So I kind of moved away from that and, and my, my mechanics weren't working all that well. And, I just wasn't really happy with it overall. So I just released the demo ROM or the, the beta ROM and, and said, uh, here it is, mess around with it, do what you want. You can't even get past level eight or nine, I think. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so how did you get the idea for a tailgate party then? So it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a story there where I was, I've was i always kind of been intrigued by the power pad. We had one as a kid and, and beat the crap out of it playing uh, track and field or world-class track meet, I guess it's called. And... So it I always intrigued me. So the first thing I kind of thought about was making like kind of like a twister knockoff. And I was trying to think how I would, how I'd do that. And it was kind of over the summer at that time. And we play a lot of cornhole and we were playing cornhole one day and it just kind of hit me. I was like, whoa, we could, I wonder if we could, you know, throw corn bags at this power pad and, and make a game out of it. And, and it just kind of took off from there. So are the characters in tailgate party inspired by real people? Um, a few of them are, um, not all of them. They, some of them are friends. Some of them are celebrities, you know, kind of people I just thought of. Is it true that Ace, uh, the big bad guy in the game, is inspired by your own bullying of people at sporting events? <laughs> uh, a little bit. Not, not too bad, but, you know, <laughs> there's probably some slight bullying that was, that was done to me in school. But, you know, I was a small fry, so it's going to happen. And you did all the art for the game, correct? I did every single piece of art for the game, which is impressive because if there were, if you could fail art and as a freshman in high school, I probably would have. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I did, I did every bit of it. I did a lot of studying on how the eight on eight bit, um, pixel art and looked at a lot of pictures online and, and was inspired by a lot of things to try to try to get this art to look halfway decent. And one of the really neat things about the project as a whole, at least with the release, is that for the limited editions, you have decided to draw the buyers into them, correct? Yes. Um, if, uh, if they pay the little bit of extra that I asked them to, they can, they can have themselves drawn into the game. And I think most people, if not all, that I've, I've drawn have been happy with it. Anybody that was on the development team had them. I drew them into the game for them. Or I guess any custom character that they they wanted that's that I approve of. And actually, um, you drew Bo and I, and we used that art for our cover of this podcast. Correct. Yeah. You know, I was uh, I was kind of humbled by that. I didn't I didn't think it was you know I thought it was halfway decent, but I didn't think it was good enough to use for. Her. No, for everyone that's seen it says it looks exactly like us, and I agree. <laughs> I am very happy well, with it. Yes. Well, I'm glad you guys are happy with it. I, you know, I spent a whole about a half hour to an hour on each year, so it was it wasn't too bad. That's it. Guys have. Yeah, it was about it. You know, oh, I now, have a. Now I'm offended. Not not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I use well, I use Andy Jones as kind of my my base image, and oh, I just kind of move. Scum. I move jaw lines and hairlines accordingly, and then kind of. I drop feel. Noses. I feel like you could have done a lot more with my hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can well, there be had, less? If if you All had right. a lot more hair to do something with. <laughs> so, what was the um, testing process like for this? Um, starting off, I I didn't have anything to test on with real hardware, so I I reached out to the community. Maybe somebody had a power pack or or anything that would 
that you could use on real hardware. And I gave him a test ROM, which is available on Nintendo Age if you find the the thread on it. It's uh, it's just a power pad demo is what I call it. And um, they put it on, a lot of them put it on power packs and they put it on their Nintendo. And they tried with uh, with cornfield or cat, some people use cat food or whatever they could find to fill up a Ziploc baggie. And I had a series of tests for them to use, like drop it from a foot high, drop it from two feet high, from five feet high, or put one bag down and try to hit it with another bag, see what happens. Or could you get it to, could you get it to hit two buttons at one time, or does it just hit the first button, the second button doesn't register? I had I had a series of questions for them to ask, and every single person that tested it came back with positive results. Everything I wanted to see came back perfect. Nobody had a had any blips out there that would have thrown off the programming in the game. So when you chose a format for testing, what sort of influenced that? Um, I was a part of the testing for, well, at that time, not really, but when I decided to bring in some testers, I was a part of the the beta testing for the incident with, with Kevin. And I kind of really, in, that kind of really inspired me on how to, how to do this, bring people in, get them into a private thread, just throw them out of ROM and say, here's what I want you to look for. Go out and see if you can break this. If you break it, let me know. If you find anything else, let me know. And that's pretty much what I did when I was with Kevin on the incident. And it, it seemed to work out pretty well. You know, they'd, they'd go out there. I'd say, hey, go see if you can if you can break something in playing, if you can get points to score that aren't supposed to score and stuff like that. And, it, yeah, it, it worked really well. You were a little too good at breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading those threads, and they were they were pretty rough. You were kind of brutal. Well, you know, he told me to break it, so that's what I did. Many controllers were broken. <laughs> yeah, for a game with a block pushing a puzzler, that that's something. Well, that's that's what really worked great for that game too. Is that I'm I love puzzlers, and since and he asked me to come on, and I was able to do a whole lot with that game, and, and none of it had anything to do with trying to solve the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> So um, you have now released Tailgate Party. You have a limited edition and a regular edition, and there was also a competition version. Yes, back in 2016, it had been oh mid June, I think. Um, oh, too many games. Is that the one it was? The too many games expo. Uh, you know what? I have the cart right here. Yep. Oh no, sorry. It's the Let's Play Gaming Expo in Texas. Yep, and. Uh, NA uh, forum member Ferris Bueller asked me, he puts on the expo, I guess. And he asked me if I wanted to put together a small competition cart so that they could have a competition down there. And unfortunately it didn't go very well. I don't think anybody showed up for it. I ended up getting the first, second, third place carts back and gave them, gave them to some buddies, but you know, it was uh, it was great exposure. It got onto a local, a local news station down in, in Houston. So I have, there's a video out there on the internet on their, on their page where the news anchor is actually throwing some bags at the power pad and trying to play the game. So that was, that was pretty cool to see that it actually made TV. Oh, it was also on the Nessathon last year, right? Or was that the year yeah, before? Yeah, uh, Last year or not this last one, but the year before the 2016, um, they, they played it up there. They actually, they didn't have anything to throw at the power pad. So they were using water bottles and I remember they had, they had the they had the power pad right in front of the guy's game collection. 
<laughs> so they they'd hit and water would splash up, and they had to they, they had to put up they had to put up blankets just to stop the water from hitting this collection. So it's actually in the in the manual not to use water filled containers to play this game. Jeez, that's rough. Um, <laughs> so with Tailgate Party is a very interactive game. You really have to be there chucking beanbags at a power pad to to get it. So what are your plans for getting the word out? Um, you know, I was hoping it would take off a little bit better on the internet with some videos I put on YouTube. Um, it kind of has. It's got it's got a few hundred views on it, but really when I went to the the gaming expo out in Milwaukee, the Midwest Gaming Classic, um, a lot of people just loved being able to physically throw the bag onto the power pad and seeing it, you know, how they can inter- interact with it. And they were, they were very, very interested at that point. So it's a game that kind of sells itself. I think a lot of people kind of think, look at it and go, Oh, well, I don't know about this game. And then they play it and they're like, wow, this, this is actually kind of fun. I could get a buddy over here. We could chuck bags. It, it would be a great time. And so that it, like I said, the game kind of sells itself and I'm, I'm really hoping that's what kind of takes off. It kind of spreads the word. It's shown at some expos and, and people just end up liking it. I know it's going to be at the long Island gaming expo coming up here in a couple months. Um, I just sent the card out, just sent the card out to the, to the guy and um, he really wants to demonstrate it out there. So I I hope they have a lot of fun playing it out there. Well, you won a trophy at the. I was there at Midwest Gaming Classic this year, and you you won. What was the award again? It was the best modder restoration, um, best in show trophy. And uh, what it usually goes to, they said usually it goes to an arcade system. Whoever did the best modification or restored an arcade machine and made it made it look pretty cool. Um, but once they, they said, once they saw what I was doing with the power pad, they said that was a very cool modified use of this peripheral that's nobody likes. (laughs) So they, they decided at that point, like we, we, we have to give this trophy to him because it's, it's a pretty awesome concept. And, and, you know, I was pretty humbled by that. I'm not a guy that really likes awards or really likes to brag about it. And I had a hard time trying to word it, to put it out there, you know, that this game won an award and I, I really don't try to push it, but you know, it is what it is. I want it, and and it, it was it was pretty cool. It was, it was an it was awesome of them to honor me that way, or honor the game, I guess that way. The game wasn't even out, which to me was the coolest part. Was that they just gave you an award for a game that wasn't even finished? It's that neat. Right at at that point, I was still probably one version away from finishing the game. So I think there was I think I was on final final version three of the ROM, and final version four is what when it would end up coming out as the final to be released so the story mode in this game we talked about earlier in the podcast is pretty cool you have to go through i think eight different people um and and the bad guy at the end sort of has a couple goons uh that protect him uh i have the kahan army who basically attack anyone who criticizes anything i do do you have any uh goons of your own (laughs) no i I don't think i do anyways maybe there's a couple out there that that will defend what i say or do but you know what Right now, I'm 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 a newbie in the in the NES homebrew community, so I don't think anybody's out there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the next project you have uh, in mind? Um, I'm still kind of undecided on the next project. I'm kind of working on a on a personal thing for for my wife. Hopefully, that she doesn't hear this podcast before her anniversary. But 
Um, I'm kind of working on that right now, and it's uh, it's just a little side scroll. Or I'm I'm learning how to scroll with this game on long with um, giving this to my wife. It's just gonna be a little timeline of our time together. So it'll, it'll be a fun little thing for her for a gift. But it's a it's a nice way for me to learn scrolling as well because I haven't I haven't tackled that concept yet. And after that, I'm not really for sure what I'm gonna do yet. It's always such a big, it's always such a big jump for all the homebrewers when they jump to a scrolling game. It it, it has been a a, a great learning experience. When I started, um, I actually got the screen scrolling from screen one to screen two. I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then I tried to add more screens with adding a column of data before it got there. And it's just been a headache since then. So (laughs) (laughs) I think I finally have it down. So we'll see what happens. Gatsby. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, so the next few questions I think are going to be standard questions that I'm going to ask everyone that comes on the show. Um, but the first of which is, what is your favorite homebrew of all time? My favorite homebrew of all time happens to actually be the first homebrew that kind of got me into it, and that is Study Hall by uh, Kahan Games. Ooh, very nice. That, that was the that was the game that that was actually my second homebrew at the time. I had bought. Uh, 8-Bit Xmas 2012. Not really knowing what it was. was. also by Kahan Games. Yes, Yes, it it is. is. (laughs) So I had no idea really what it was, and I didn't know at the time that Kahan Games had really written that. But uh, then I saw Study Hall, and I was really intrigued by it because, I like like I said, I like like puzzlers, arcade puzzlers, really. It's kind of my niche. And uh, so I was really curious of what it was about. And I bought it when it, the day it was released. And my first post on Nintendo Age is actually me telling Kevin that I had bought this game and I can't wait to get it. Holy so cow! That I is don't my... think I knew that. <laughs> so that was my that was the still my favorite game to this day. I love that game. I would say the incident is probably number two. Um, that I, probably because I worked on the project, but I still I still love that game. There's just a lot of thinking that goes into it trying to beat that game. Well, flattery will get you everywhere, so thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, so the next question is, who is your favorite home brewer of all time? Don't say Kevin. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> say Kevin. I'm just going to design all these questions to fill my head. His, his ego is big enough. <laughs> well, I, you know, I can't say Kevin, so I'll just say Kahan Games. <laughs> That's well played, sir. Well played. I honestly did not exe- uh, expect any of those answers, so that's uh, I, I appreciate I it. That means a lot. When I was, when no I was looking at the questions, I kind of expected that. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, so yeah, that means a lot. Um, so we'll move to a question that will not have me as being the answer. Um, what is your favorite beer? Hint, the answer is Keystone Light. That is right? still about you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, well, you know, I had this Keystone Light 12-pack I had to finish when I got back from Midwest Gaming Classic. So, you know, I had Ugh. to choke that, that down. Um, no, that I, don't, I, the, I don't, that I don't mind Keystone. Stuff that could, was left over in the tub. No, somebody that one had, actually never made, made it out of my car. No, somebody had bathed in there. It was just gross. <laughs> it's like riddled with body juice. <laughs> my my favorite beer actually is uh, it's by a company out in... Decora, Iowa, called Toppling Goliath, and the beer is called Pseudo Sue. And if you know anything about yeah. it, it's got this giant T Rex on it. It's a it's a pale ale, and it's uh, it's very delicious. I love it. It's it's also very big, if I recall from MGC. Yes, yes. Uh, so I have one last question, 
and it is probably the most important one. Um, is it true that Troy is a better football team than Nebraska? Ooh, well, if you go back, we uh, Nebraska has played Troy in the past, and I think I think Nebraska hasn't blanked. So I'm going to say no, that is not true. <laughs> All um, right, fair enough. <laughs> question for us non-sports fans: What is Troy? Troy is the college that I went to in Florida. In Alabama. Uh, Alabama. Oh, yeah, the other part of Florida, Alabama. <laughs> uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> well, that's all I got. Bo, do you have anything else? No, that's it. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. And uh, it's been great watching Tailgate because you and I started in the homebrew community about the same time. Yes. It's been great watching Tailgate Party kind of develop and. It, you know, it sort of sucked watching you go through happy hour and like that sort of disappointment of it not really working out. But I think uh, that you've created one of the most interesting games that uses a peripheral for the system, hands down. Well, I just hope that everybody enjoys it. That's that's why I wrote it. You know, it's a fun game. It's fun to have people over just to play the game. I mean, if you enjoy playing cornhole, you're gonna you're gonna love this game. It's it's just a great time. Um, like I said it in a in a post on nintendo age that this is a game that after i got done writing it i can still play the game all the time and i never get sick of it most people they get done with the game and they don't want to ever play that game again or they got it memorized and they can they can do everything with their eyes closed me on this game it it takes skill so you can you can play it anytime all the time have buddies over they can beat you even though you wrote the game it's it's just it's just fun all around yeah, and I have to say that that uh, the battle bags variation of the game is incredibly fun. I love that. That's I I really wanted to write that, and it, it took me that game took me the longest. That by itself, battle bags slash lucky thirteen, same game, different variations of of winning the game, but that that took me about as much time to write it as the other five games combined i believe it it was it was very difficult to figure out how to get the attributes to to line up perfectly every single time and be correct and then to be able to undo them if somebody makes a mistake to be able to undo what you just did oh that yeah. was that was a nightmare because you're just manipulating bits of a certain bite at that point right because they're right. so close together yep, yep exactly Is that a band name Bits of a certain bite. Bits of a certain bite. That, I will say perfect. that my downstairs neighbors hate your game. Oh, yeah! Invite them up, man. Every time they hear the the flags hitting the floor or the bags hitting the floor, every every time after that they come visit you. Probably bring them back with them. If, if I say the name cornhole to an eighty year old, you know what happens? <laughs> they, they, I'm not you grow up fast. Exactly. <laughs> and with that. Thank you Thanks, so much, Tim. Tim. No problem. Hey, I wanted to say one last thing. Um, yeah. The project wouldn't have been possible without my my testers and also with my music composer, uh, Bleep Bop Records, um, also known as Thomas Raganet or Zai on the uh, NA forums. So I wanted to give a big shout out and a thank you to him as well and my testers. And Kevin, you were actually going to talk a little bit about the music, right? Yep. Uh, we will get into that right now, I guess. That, that's a great transition. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Well, we're gonna play this the song that's from lot. What lot is it? Lot H? No. Lot D. Lot D. You know that, that he he sent me like fifty texts. I I kid you not. It's it's got to be twenty. He about every single song in the soundtrack except for Lot D. No kidding. 
He was like, Lot E did this, and Lot G did this, and Lot B did this, and Lot D I just don't really care for. <laughs> but you could you could almost sing Radiohead Creep for the first few bars. That's all he no, had to say. No, and that's true, because the chord progression that it uses, um, I don't want to get too into music theory here, but um, it uses a 1, 3, 6, 4, 5 chord oh. progression. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that is actually not a common chord progression at all. Um, and that's why I chose this song because it is sort of out of the blue. Uh, it's uncommon. And the only examples I could find um, of, you know, modern songs that sort of use this chord progression, um, a day in the life by the Beatles. We're just going to mm. have a Beatles reference in every oh, episode. Um, and, Creep by Radiohead is almost this chord progression, but not quite. Um, so the first couple chords is the same, but then it changes. So um, that's actually why I I chose it because it sounded really interesting to me. Um, it's just it's not normal, um, but Thomas sort of he wrote it in a way that when you're listening to it, it doesn't sound strange. I mean, the way he wrote it completely works. Uh, and it sounds awesome. Um, but when it goes from that, you know, the first chord to the three um, of that chord, it just sounds really, really cool. So, um, yep, we're going to play that right now. Wait, wait. Yes. So that is the song from Lot D in Tailgate Party. It's pretty cool. It has a different tune for every uh, different opponent you face. And what level would that be? Uh, four? I don't know. <clears throat> Three. Three? <laughs> Only because I asked Tom earlier. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. No. Um, but all the music's actually really good. Um, but that is my favorite. So that is why I put it in the podcast. 
Yeah, uh, Tom's big thing was when he played the game, he tries to fit the music to the game. So when he played the game, he kept seeing different parts where it'd be great to have more music here or more music there. And which, you know, you look at the game and you see it's a game about cornhole, but it's really about this whole story and it's about this whole experience. And that involves a lot of music. I think there Mm -hmm. were, what, 14 odd tracks? By when uh, all was said and done, I think something close to that. Something um, close to that. Yeah, I don't have the file pulled up in front of me. Um, I don't but either. there's a lot of movement in all the and all the music. He did a really good job of sort of keeping the energy up. Um, and you could actually take a lot of this music and put it into an action game, and it would work perfectly. Um, it just it keeps it keeps the intensity going. It keeps you interested. Um, and in this type of game. You know, when you're standing 10 feet away from from the pad, um, the characters, they get pretty hard down the road. So you're going to be re- replaying a few of these people a few times before you beat them. So it's good that the music is so good. And he he's always so good in everything that he writes. Oh, yeah. Again, since uh, 8-Bit Christmas 2013 and on, he did UXO. He's done The Incident, a bunch of Kevin's games, uh, of course, Tailgate Party, and Mm -hmm. he continues to do, he's probably the most prolific author out of anybody in the homebrew scene in terms of music. Yeah, and you'd think that with all the projects he's always juggling that he would like, you know, if a new project came out, he would be like, no, I can't take this one. But he's always the first one to jump in there and be like, hey, you need music? Just let me know. I already have something halfway done. <laughs> yep. Oh, he had music for Spookatron done, and then I had to tell him no because you decided to do it for me instead. But uh, <laughs> Suck it. Yeah, I wanted to use that for our <laughs> podcast music. It was it was that good. Oh, is, that, is that not what we're using? Is that something different? Oh, no, it was a... Uh... The original Halloween song sounded like a game show. Man, it just made you happy. Uh, and we don't want that for a Halloween game. No, right? I, I honestly didn't. No. <laughs> so that's it for the music. Um, what do we got now? Nestev Compo, then we're done. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned Memblers earlier. He runs a, a website called nestev.com. There's some forums on there, and that's sort of the birthplace. Well, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to be like the birthplace for a lot of uh, the tech guys who have sort of figured things out. And if you want to go find the smartest dudes as far as the hardware goes and the programming goes, they're always there constantly trying to figure out the most efficient ways to code everything. Uh, that is nestev.com. And they do a competition every year? Yeah. Oh, are yeah. you going to dispute well, not, that? No. <laughs> I was just going to say they are not only trying to figure out the most efficient ways, but they have more or less figured out many of the ways to do things. Uh, if you yeah. look at the Nestev mailing list from the ni- late 90s up through Nestev, the website, like they're trying to figure out how things like the zapper work or how you could use a mouse on the NES and they're just exploring the different possibilities. Uh, a lot of these guys are tech guys or hardware guys. Very smart, uh, way smarter than I will ever be. Yeah, and a lot of them don't even care about putting out, you know, full games. They just want to figure things out and do, you know, little tech demos that uh, really explore the different facets of the system. It's true, and a lot of the games that they used to put out, uh, Memblers especially, they were done for competitions. Joe, Joe uh, Parcel, uh, Joey Parcel, goes by Memblers, and he was doing 
music competitions in like the late 90s, early 2000s and winning them and getting prizes from China shipped to his house. He's got like a Super Nintendo copier from one of those competitions just sitting there. No kidding. Yeah, oh yeah, when you go over to his place in his basement, it's just just sitting there right on uh, his entertainment system like I've, you wouldn't even know. I've heard that going into his basement is an eye-opening experience. Uh, I believe I have used the words Aladdin's cave <laughs> on numerous occasions. <laughs> yeah, no, Joe's a great guy, and that's why... Again, the reason why I'm looking into the homebrew community as a whole, besides being part of it, is because the people are just so great. And so you meet these people who are just normal people, and yet they're just fascinating in the things that they know and the things that they do and the things that they don't even realize that they are so good at. Uh, Most of them are the most humble people you'll ever meet, and most of them are the most interesting people you will ever meet, which is a great combination. So Sivak last week that we talked about with Battle Kid, he was entering stuff into competitions, that fall down game, and Rob uh, goes by Roth online and runs Sly Dog Studios. He was also entering stuff into competitions. Before you saw all these cart releases, you would see, or you saw, a bunch of games that were released just as sort of demos or short little mini games for little programming competitions whether they were run by china or whether they were run by uh, just websites Um, but eventually that grew into things like the garage cart the garage cart in 2005 was a multi-cart and there's supposed to be garage cart 2 and we are still waiting over (laughs) a decade later for garage cart 2 to actually come out but it was designed as not necessarily a competition cart, but a multi-cart in yeah. the sense that a bunch of people contributed things and then it got released. So in 2011, Nestev, the website, which is actually these days moderated by a guy named Woman, who does just a phenomenal job with uh, keeping up on the day-to-day things, he and the server responsibilities and even paying stuff out of his own pocket, donate he or they have run the Nestev competition in 2011 uh, there was a competition there were I think five or six entries and eventually this was published in 2013 as the action 53 streamers bundle oh man streamers is so good streamers is good it was not part of the competition it's a damn shame it would have won Well, it would have, and that's why they put it. So after the competition ended, they still took uh, submissions. So if you wanted to get your name out there, if you wanted to sort of showcase something, submit it, and we'll put it onto this sort of uh, bundle of games, which would then come to be on uh, multi-cart. And they had to create a special mapper for it, which if you're familiar at all with the NES architecture, you have to... Each game runs on a different mapper. It's sort of it's a different uh, hardware implementation. But they had to create their own, which is sort of cool for a homebrew thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mapper 28, which combined uh, most of the discrete and easier to use mappers, which most of us use these days. And in total, there were 20 games and programs that were submitted. Anything from streamers, which was the like the featured thing, which we'll talk about streamers some other day because it's that that great. Yeah, for sure to i think three two or three of shiru's games a uh, landmaster lawnmower and oh zooming secretary yeah oh zooming secretary thank you yeah yeah that was his uh third one and then 
Also, like, in addition to new things, there were also re-releases of old things like Slappin' by uh, MRN, Michael Swanson, or Munchie Attack, which was on the original Garage Cart that was by Memblers, uh, Virus Cleaner, which was by Roth, yeah. Pogo Cats was already out. Yeah, oh, Virus Cleaner is very good. There were a bunch. Anyways, they were all released. Uh, they did a limited edition version, which they did 50 copies of. It sold out within a minute. I wow. kid you not. 50 copies gone within a minute. I got number 49. So I know it was within a minute because I was there like at the minute pressing refresh, F5. So your primitive computer kept up with that, huh? Back then, it was 2013. It was not so primitive. Oh, you're right. Okay. These days, yes. you would never score a copy. Well, I use other computers. <laughs> I have many ways. Anyways, um, which actually, interestingly enough, that was the game that got me started collecting games and buying up everything that I could, in addition to making and writing about and learning everything that I could. I also nice. started then to purchase, thank you, Action 53. Oh, and it was called Action 53 because of that terrible game, Action 52, for the NES, done by... Uh, Active Enterprises. So they took the name, instead of Action 52, they did Action 53 Streamers Bundle, and Streamers was a recreation of one of the best games on that terrible, terrible collection of 52 games that was done right. And so, that was financially successful enough to spawn the 2014 competition, because now they could afford to pay people for their entries. So if you scored number one, you got x amount and if you scored number two you got x amount and but this time around the limited editions were only given to contributors it was a full cib release and there were 19 games and programs so by programs we mean things like uh paul malloy who runs infinite nes lives he contributed a game called pcb artist which was yes like it sounds you draw pcbs like an artist uh don't really know what else to do with that <laughs> the and way were, people get their kicks <laughs> yeah and there were a couple of, there were i think two other sort of like programs and quotes and then a bunch of games and then some of those games came after the fact like a-u-g-e and that paved the way for last year's 2016 competition which we talked about last week because uh, Twin Dragons, which has recently been on Kickstarter, won last year's competition. Again, a platformer uh, done by Glue Talk and a team of two other guys, an uh, artist, Cert, and a musician who I really got to track that name down so I quit calling him just the musician. <laughs> but uh, he won first place. Uh, Chris Kakia. Uh, I'm so sorry, Chris. Chris <laughs> Cacciatore, like the sauce. It's, it's a pasta sauce. Um, Chris did the art for Spookatron. He's also doing the art for my upcoming RPG, and he is just awesome. beyond a master of his craft. Just an amazing guy, super nice, super humble. But he did a game called Nebs and Debs, which is a platformer, and you kind of like can not quite teleport, but it's more of like a dash mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's just done so well with that. It's why he hasn't got quite as much art done as I would have liked, but uh, he's making his own dream, and that's awesome. And it's just such a solid game, and his style is so, I don't know, cheerful? I want Yeah, see. I think when that game sees its release, I think it's going to set the new standard for uh, NES homebrews. Yeah, between him and uh, Twin Dragons, yes. Yeah. 
and Chris has he posts on Twitter. It's um, I have not posted any of the RPG art yet, but you can see it in Spookatron. Just that kind of lighthearted. He takes a serious, depressing, scary subject like Halloween and just turns it on its head, and it's just this cheerful, fun, exciting place to be. And I don't know. He's just he comes from a computer background, but in terms of his NES stuff, it's just very interesting to me and the reason that we're talking about all of these competitions is because the 2017 competition just started is that right oh yeah that is that is actually why we're here (laughs) we made it i i could have gone on and on about the 2014 (laughs) or 16 competition nathan tolbert and doug f thank you for your contributions they're wonderful but 2017 uh tell us about it kevin uh, well, there's not much to say, I guess, but uh, if you are so inclined, you can head over to nestdev.com and um, read the rules of uh, what's going on, what you can submit. Uh, there are different categories that you can sort of uh, submit your projects to, um, and you can be part of history. It's true, and that's one of the things. It's funny because you and I have never submitted anything to the Nestev Compos. Right, but there you can't really discount how sort of important they are i mean a lot of really really good projects spawn um from submissions to that if they had like a four-year competition i could be in it but i'm <laughs> i'm not that fast i guess um yeah I, the deadline always bugs me like i i work things at my own pace so i just don't want to feel rushed you know so that's not one my of these kind of days, thing is one of these days i'll get into it but uh I just can never seem to get anything done in that amount of time. And these guys who who do submit things, there's a category for past projects, a category of, like, this is a place to try things out. If, and uh, Brad Smith, Rain Warrior, was talking about in one of the threads, like, this is a peer review process. So you can submit something with bugs, and we'll tell you what's wrong with it, and we'll help you figure it out. Like, we want you to be a better homebrewer because of this process pretty powerful if you if you think about it yeah for sure and so yeah it's going on right now uh the deadline is 2018 so that is more than six months uh you can almost submit pretty much anything whether that's like some sort of application or test program or an actual game or a demo of a game yep so there's a lot of fun to be had uh if competitions are your thing so definitely head over there and check it out um, but then I think that's pretty much all I got for today. Do you got anything else? Uh, only music. Yep. And we our send-off track this week is done by Derek Andrews, who heads up Gradual Games. He does programming and sound while his wife does the art, and they are just a dynamic duo. They do amazing stuff, uh, Namalos and Legends of Alia. And they are working on a new game, and one of the kind of foundational parts to this game, it's a platformer, so that should get everybody very excited. Oh yeah, I'm excited. But it is, uh, it's built around the music that Derek has done for it. He showed me some of it last year, the Long Island competition, which you will be able to find Tim's game at this year. It is just this exciting platformer that's built around the music, and you can sort of tell the excitement picture if you just listen to the Mega Man music what type of game you would imagine because of that and you can listen to this music and kind of make the same judgment 
Yep. So we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, definitely rate us on iTunes or Google Play Music if uh, you feel so inclined. It really does make a difference to uh, to get us uh, in the search. Um, so also, if you have any questions, uh, you can email them to nesassemblyline at gmail.com. We will read them in the future uh, if you have any questions about, you know, anything, really, even if I'm a farmer. Um, and definitely, if you want to hear more, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at... Uh, a ton of glaciers and Bo is at soul goose uh, and you will be able to follow us with more development stuff um, so in closing here is the music uh, sent to us from Derek so we appreciate you <laughs>